Young Americans Foundation. We work with college Republicans all over the country. What Young Americans Foundation does is we bring the biggest conservative names to college campuses. You guys are maybe a little more fortunate than others, and correct, I could be wrong, because sometimes we assume a campus is conservative, and there are lots of liberal professors even at some of the most conservative schools. Is it conservative? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yay! Wonderful. Well, what we do is we send Ann Coulter, Michelle Malkin, Newt Gingrich, um, just the Ben Stein, really the biggest conservative names out there, into these liberal bastions. And often at these schools, they're not as fortunate as you guys. They have not heard a single conservative voice for their entire four years there. So imagine sending somebody like sending somebody like Ann Coulter to uh, Berkeley, or you know any of these big schools, even Virginia schools. The University of Virginia is dominated by leftist professors. So when we send somebody like Anne is the best one because she is a total bomb thrower when she goes there. And you don't have to agree with everything she says. And none of us do agree with every single thing Ann Coulter says. But when she goes, she introduces these students to conservative ideas often for the first time. And it's like throwing a grenade in there. And it just explodes. But what it does is it unleashes political debate and discourse. Whereas before it's locked down, only liberal ideas are permitted. You know, there are sensitivity codes and tolerance policies only are for liberal thought. You're not allowed at many of these schools to disagree with the liberal orthodoxy on campus. So Anne or others go in and they talk about conservative ideas. Now, when the schools bring in these wacko leftists and spend tens of thousands of the students' dollars, student activities fees, they'll maybe have 15, 20, 30 people come to these lectures because they hear these leftists all the time. Send in one of the conservatives, thousands of kids come out. We always pack the biggest auditorium on campus and for months, sometimes years, everybody's talking about our events because they cause such a stir, but that is a great thing to open up political discourse because that's why you're in school. You're supposed to be challenging each other with interesting intellectual ideas, not just talking about one section, one sector. Um, we should be talking about free markets. You know, the University of Virginia, I, I graduated from there, so that's one of the reasons that I'm talking about it. But they have this group of great students who started the Edmund Burke Society. It's not the Birch Society, which some people confuse it with, which would be problematic. Um, it's the Edmund Burke Society. And they decided they were sick of all these courses on liberal political theory, liberal thought, liberal economics, women's studies courses. I could not find a single class at the University of Virginia that taught Jane Austen from a non-feminist perspective. There's nothing about the literature of Jane Austen, the literary theories, nothing about any of that. Anyway, they were sick of it. And so these students got together and they decided to start their own course in conservative theory, in conservative historical thought. And they thought, oh my gosh, there's no way we're going to get this through. As soon as they started talking about it, in one day they were able to find 12 professors who were willing to get on board and teach conservative theory. Russell Kirk and um, you know Bill Buckley, some of the great conservative minds. And so they are going to have a class next semester in conservative thought. And that's because people like you get together and you have ideas and you decide that it's important 
that other people your age become exposed to these ideas. Now, there's this notion across the whole country that young people, your, all of your contemporaries, every single one of them loves Barack Obama and agrees with everything that he has to say. Now, you did turn out in droves your contemporaries and you voted for Barack Obama. There's no question about that. But there's also no question that virtually overnight that um, love, that just infatuation with Barack, Barack Obama has evaporated. And I think, and you guys, again, you can correct me, but I think that your generation is going to lead the charge in that because you realize it's obvious. Can you believe we're talking about deficits and we're talking about spending away our future? This is, these are, we've been doing this for a long time. We've been stealing from you guys for a long time, but we're doing it now in an, at an unprecedented level thanks to Barack Obama. So we can be grateful in one area and that he's drawn our attention to it. It's got to stop. And I think you guys are going to be the ones to stand up and say, enough. You know, we want part of the American dream. We want a piece of it. We don't want to be taxed beyond our means. We want our children and our children's children to have the same opportunity for vibrant futures that our parents had. So it used to be sort of an option whether or not you wanted to be active and whether you wanted to come to a college Republican meeting on a Monday night. But I hope you all realize, and I hope you're going to share with your fellow classmates and when you get back home for the summers, I hope you're going to share with others the absolute importance of being active and being involved. And to that end, I would urge you to get internships with some conservative movement organizations um, to get uh, um, Bonnie. Is, has an internship with the Susan B. Anthony list. That's great. That's exactly the sort of thing. Um, call us up at YAF about getting an internship with us, or we can tell you about other folks and their internships. Come to conferences. It's so important to learn about the ideas that are out there, to equip yourself and to educate yourselves. We have a week-long conference every summer in Washington, D.C., and you come and you stay at GW for a week, and you will see one great speaker after another. It's five days of the best conservative speakers out there. We have them all, and they all come, and you just sit there, and you listen to one after another. You get to talk to them. You get to know them. You get to ask them questions. It's an incredible week. I really encourage you to do that. And then there's one other thing that I would encourage you guys to think about doing. About 11 years ago, Young America's Foundation heard about a certain property out on the West Coast that was for sale. And it was the Reagan Ranch. President Reagan, when he was in office for eight years, he spent an entire year on the West Coast, right outside of Santa Barbara, at this beautiful ranch called Rancho del Cielo. And this ranch that he loved, this is the place he wanted to be. You hear about Reagan being this elite Hollywood actor and wealthy and all of this. He wanted to be at his ranch. He wanted to be splitting logs. He wanted to be riding his horses. He wanted to be face-to-face um, -face with God's creation. He said it reminded him of why he was willing to put himself and his family through the challenges that one encounters when you're president. Basically, you give up your freedom and your life for a certain period of time. So 11 years ago, 
the Reagan ranch was on the verge of falling into who knows what hands. There were liberals who were interested in it, in buying it and doing whatever they were, wanted to do with it. The state of California and the United States government under Bill Clinton refused um, the property. They didn't want to preserve it as Reagan's presidential property. There's no other presidential property of Reagan. So Young America's Foundation stepped up and bought it for an astronomical sum that we really didn't have at the time, but we did it. And Americans from all across the country um, poured their support into it. And so now it's been preserved exactly as President Reagan left it. Um, Nancy Reagan came in, and you know, by that point, President Reagan was debilitated with Alzheimer's, but she came in and she put every piece of furniture down. She put the uh, shampoo is where it was. The toothbrushes are there. And you can go and see President Reagan's home exactly as he left it. Now, my favorite story is of a busload of college professors from the University of California system. And you can imagine, um, they were Reagan, Reagan scholars. And they were all liberal. They all hate Reagan. And their goal in life was sort of to tear down um, the Reagan legacy as they saw Reagan beginning to um, gain some steam and earn some prestige. And he's um, in poll after poll been found to be um, the most popular president in a um, uh, 50 year period of time. So um, these college professors went up, and the whole way up, our, you know, our staff was on the, the bus with them. And they were talking about, oh, Reagan, he was so out of touch. He was so elite. They bought all this new stuff for the White House. And, you know, they didn't know, they, this place is going to be so posh. Yeah, right, Reagan working ranch. I can't wait to see this. Okay. They get up there, and it's, they, they drop them off, and they walk up, and they're standing in front of the Reagan Ranch house. It is a 1,600-square-foot adobe little hut-like thing. And they go inside. They, they all stood there literally with their mouths hanging open. It's beautiful. It's you know painted beautifully. But it is this little, just average, rustic. Paul's been there. My son's been there. It is just rustic and average. You go in, and it's all 70s decor. They didn't do a thing to update it. My favorite part, well, Nancy Reagan, you know, she has this reputation for being this diva, practically. Well, this house will tell you, this woman was no diva. There's no heat in this adobe, and it's freezing in there. I mean, even when we go in, practically in the summertime, it is cold. So in the winter, they would go there all year round. She had this little dressing table in this ridiculously rustic bathroom, this little tiny space heater, which her only source of heat pointed right at her. But their bedroom is the best. This, you know, these elite Hollywood actors, um, their twin beds in the bedroom, pushed together, held together with little plastic ties that you would get at the uh, hardware store. And at the end of Reagan's little um, twin bed, they have pushed a footstool up because his feet hung over the edge of the bed. And so this elite Hollywood actor pushed a footstool up. He didn't want to buy a new bed, didn't have time for any of that. So these Hollywood, I mean, these um, Reagan scholars, as they drove back down the mountain, were silent. They were just so stunned and moved by what they had seen. Now, I'm sure that they regained their um, vitriol once they got back to the classroom, but it was such a stunning thing for them. And it is so neat to see people your age go up there, because I know you were probably not even born, I don't even ask that question anymore, um, when Reagan, hi Bob, good to see you, when Reagan was president, so you all don't have the benefit. When I was, I think I was 10 years old when Reagan was president, 
And I remember sitting, perching myself on the kitchen counter to watch his speeches. I could not move because he was riveting, was he not? I mean, he just captured you. And for me, I will never forget Jimmy Carter's presidency. And I will never forget seeing him stand up there on TV and say that he had asked his daughter Amy, who was my age at that time, I think I was nine then, for advice on nuclear war. Oh my gosh, can you imagine the cold chills that sends through a nine-year-old? <laughs> Call me up, ask me. Um, but then Reagan was so assured, so calm, and even a ten-year-old could get his idea that, that government when it gets in the way of private industry, stifles it. That we need to cut taxes so that the free market is unleashed, so there will be prosperity. That we need to be strong in order to show our adversaries, our enemies around the world, that we mean business and that they can't take us on anymore. Hence the fall of um, the Berlin Wall and communism, totalitarianism, an entire sector of the, the world, the freedom for millions of Americans because of Reagan's courage to articulate what he believes in. You know, you all have all heard, I hope, the tear down this wall speech. Do you guys know what I'm talking about when you said Gorbachev tear down this wall? I don't know if you realize that every single one of his advisors, everybody in the State Department, Secretary of Defense, everyone told him to take that out that that would only incite violence, it would um, get the hackles up of the Soviets. Reagan said, I'm not doing it. I am leaving it in, there's too much at stake. And that was, without that moment, who knows how long it would have taken to achieve what that man achieved. So we have these great conferences out on the West Coast, and they are amazing. We subsidize all of these. I think you pay maybe um, $300, $350 to go to this conference for a long weekend. It's a great college conference. You have to get there. You have to play, pay your airfare, but we put you up for a week and we take care of all of that. So think about things like that. Just broaden your perspective when it comes to understanding the conservative movement and when it comes to understanding Republican principles. It's great to be out there working for the Republican Party. You should be, but you have to understand why we're Republicans, why it's important because we don't need any more Republicans out there who run and run for office and champion these great ideas of limited government, and then they get there. They think that they run as if Washington is a cesspool, and then they get there and they think it's a jacuzzi, like that. They become corrupt within moments. But those who go there with principles, with firm convictions, with an understanding of the principles of conservatism, they're not going to waver. They're not going. You all are not going to give up what you believe just because you're challenged or just because you're tempted. Because um, something is cushy and boy, these guys have made me feel great. Maybe I will abandon my principles, so I'll get X, Y, or Z. You have to understand your principles, and you have to be willing to stand firmly for them and fight for them. And I have to say, right now, you guys have got a fight on your hands. You really do. You have got to be, we all have a fight on our hands. We are about to see um, one-sixth of the American economy taken over by the federal government. You'll see compromises this week. You'll see Obama come out with some plan that, um, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I can bet you it's not going to be good. And we're going to be guilted and harassed into trying, and uh, they're going to try to get us to support that, to be bipartisan. Do not fall for it. Anytime the government encroaches on our liberties, we have to stand firmly. We cannot compromise. Don't fall for that compromise language. 
um, when it comes to compromising your values and what you truly believe in. There have to be some of us who stand firmly and are not willing to bend and are trying to influence those in our sphere in the same way. I hope you guys will become educated. I hope you will stay involved with the college Republicans. And I hope you'll run for office. I hope that's not beyond some of your, the realm of what you're thinking. When I became chairman of the Republican Party of Virginia in 2003, the first thing I did, and this is for you ladies out there, I started up a women's leadership training program. Because there was just, I, don't, I still cannot explain it, but there is some hesitance on the part of women to get out there and run for office. And so we started this training program, and 20 women, we uh, had a competitive process, 20 women were accepted into this class. And the first day I asked, how many of you would consider running for office? I think one little hand went up, but it was really tentative. And most of the women said, oh, no, 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 I prefer a supportive role. And that's great, and that's wonderful, and that's um, fine. <laughs> but. By the end, that last class, we have one class a weekend for um, eight months. The last class, I asked the same question. How many of you would consider running for office? Every hand went up boldly, proudly, courageously. Yes, I am willing to run for office. You know, there was a day when women felt like, oh, I don't know, I, you know, it's not, not really for me. I firmly believe women have a conservative women in particular have a responsibility to get up, to stand up, and to become involved. You can still be whatever you want to be. Raise your kids, have a family, but it's not a choice anymore, one or the other. Our children's future are at stake when it comes to whether or not we're going to get involved. And we can't cede the woman vote, woman vote, like we all walk in lockstep. We can't cede it to the liberals anymore and to the Democrats because they've had a lock on women for so many years. And it's time for women to stand up and say, excuse me, I have traditional values. I believe in the free market. I believe in a strong national defense. And by golly, I'm going to stand up there and articulate that. And by having strong, articulate women out there, we bring other women into our movement and into the party. We have to have people just, they identify with people who are like them. And women want to see other women out there as leaders within the conservative movement and within the Republican Party. So I urge you, um, you know, great women out there are emerging. And it's interesting because the great women conservatives are right now, this is not, I'm not trying to disparage men, because I think you guys are wonderful too. We need lots of strong, courageous men out there, more than ever, actually. But it's fascinating to me that the conservative women are the most popular speakers, are the ones who are in this incredible enthusiasm around lover or hater, Sarah Palin. Her, uh, you know, uh, magazines with her picture on the cover fly off the, the shelves. There's something compelling fascinating to people about a conservative woman. Um, Ann Coulter, Michelle Malkin, people love them. Conservative kids, students love them. Maybe because it's fresh, maybe because it's inspiring, maybe because it blows away the left. And the left, by the way, despises conservative women more than it despises conservative men. You guys need to realize that and you need to back up these conservative ladies who stick their necks out there because they will be attacked again and again. And that's one of the reasons I can't stand it when conservatives attack people like Sarah Palin. Uh, you know, I think that we need to stand up and rally around the courageous conservatives who are willing to stand up. Again, be they men or be they women, 
But you have to admit the vitriol against the women is ridiculous, and it's unacceptable. It would not be tolerated if it were a liberal woman. I mean, Sarah Palin was burned in effigy. Every name in the book, every disgusting name was hurled at her. And did you hear anybody in the feminist movement, anybody from now, standing up and saying, oh, that's sexist? I didn't hear anything. Nothing. In fact, they jumped right in there and joined in with it, which reveals how hypocritical they are. So I just want to leave you guys with encouragement to stand up there, to be courageous, because it will not be easy all the time. But you join with a really noble heritage. I get my inspiration, not although they're great, not from Newt Gingrich or Sarah Palin or Ann Coulter or Michelle Malkin, but from Patrick Henry and Thomas Jefferson and um, George Mason and Edmund Randolph and the greats, really, the Virginia founding fathers, but the founding fathers across the board. Um, please, I, and you go to a wonderful school for learning about the founding principles of the United States. More than ever, please become educated in why it is so important to push back this steady encroachment of the federal government and to preserve our rights. And you will, when you look at their courage and how they put everything, we think it was such a balmy period and so noble and glorious, the whole revolution, they sacrificed everything. And they put everything on the line because they were willing to stand up and fight for freedom's future. And I hope you guys will join with me, join with Bob Marshall, and join with so many other conservatives out there in championing these principles that are going to lead our country forward. So thank you all so much, and God bless you. people, but primarily people who have never before been involved in politics. They are just people living their lives, raising their kids, running their businesses, trying to make ends meet, and they're saying enough. I mean, it is an amazing phenomenon to see, and there had to have been a million people in Washington, D.C. that day. It was, the estimates by the um, liberal press were ridiculous, but um, I think it is a great inspiring movement that the likes of which we've never seen but the influence on the political culture I, I don't think we have any idea yet how deep it's going to be and yes it's terrifying liberals and you can see by the ones who wouldn't vote for the health care bill and woe be unto them if they vote in favor of it right now I'm so curious to see what happens but one of the great things about the Tea Party movement is it's going to hold Republicans accountable too you know, those Republicans who campaign on low taxes and all of our principles, and then they get in there and all of a sudden they're voting for tax increases, they will be held accountable and they will be run out of town. They will be run out of their office, they will run out of town, run out of the party if they abandon their principles. And thank heavens, because for too long, and I know Bob would agree with this, for way too long they have gotten away with abandoning Republican principles. You know, they call them rhinos, Republicans in name only. It's so true, and it's enough. It's, it's really um, disingenuous of them, and it makes me, it's 
absolute lying to go and campaign saying one thing and then once you're in office doing another. So I love the Tea Party movement. Finally, we have just this groundswell of Americans becoming involved and taking, taking notice. I don't know of anybody who's not taking notice right now of what's going on. What do you mean the progressives? Because that label has been so completely stolen. So tell me specifically. Progressivism that's leading toward communism, socialism, and they're taking us down their path. Well, exactly what is happening right now. Everybody says, what can we do? What can we do? It's not working. Yes, it's working. Healthcare is not passed. That is a miracle. There is no way that this bill in any other environment wouldn't have passed. But because the American, because of the Tea Party movement, it has not passed. So what people need to do is continue to organize, grow even more vibrant college Republican groups, Republican committees, um, and conservative organizations. Educate young people, please. Um, give these, give information about Young America's Foundations to, to your parents and grandparents. Those are the ones who are going to say, you need to go to this conference. I will send you. I will do whatever it takes. It is so important for us to engage young people in the debate and the discourse and make sure that you guys are educated. And frankly, you guys are going to be the ones educating us because it is too important for you guys not to be involved and engaged. So I would say continue what we're doing. Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Virginia, it is working. The fact that we won that, and I say we because I think we all deserve credit for that. The fact we won that election in Massachusetts says it is working. We are educating, we are understanding, but we have to keep it up. We can never be lulled into the sense of complacency, and we will only win these elections in 2010 if we never stop working. Do not for one second think that, oh, because we won in Massachusetts, we're fine, we don't have to worry about anything. Oh, yes, we do. We have to get out there and work harder than ever because they are, the liberals are terrified, and they are going to pour more money into this year than you have ever seen, and we just have to be energized and out there working together. Anybody else? Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. So much. Thank you.